Welcome to the Words Matter Podcast, a podcast of First Baptist Church Seminole. All right, welcome to the Words Matter Podcast, a podcast here of FPC Seminole. We're glad uh, that you've joined us today for our podcast recording. Garrett, how long has it been? Too long. It's been too long. A, a month and a half. It, it has been a while. All, any, all five of our listeners, would you please let them know that this is unacceptable? It has been a, a busy month full I've of enjoyed it. trips and sickness and <laughs> um, all kinds of things going on. We've, we've had uh, a lot going on in the life of our church in the last month and a half between Easter and Seder and um, all kinds of things. And so we're glad to be back with you guys today in the podcast booth. Uh, I think today we're going to talk about our trip to Louisville, Kentucky to T4G. Louisville. Uh, here in a minute. Yeah. There was that sign outside that had all the different pronunciations. What were we going to do while we were in Louisville? We were going to record a podcast. Oh. I mean, no one has said it every night. Yeah. You live in this fantasy dream world sometimes. You need to <laughs> calm down. We're doing the podcast. Calm down. The, the problem was we had every intention of trying to record one, but the, what little free time no, we had, The we problem was is that Nick ate so much and forced us to eat so much that we were in, like, comas every night. I'm not going to deny any of that. Yeah, it's, but, it's, it's pretty accurate. But I will say... Not everybody had to like limp back to the hotel after meals, Garrett. That was that was you, buddy. Me and Lane. And Lane, that is true. Lane Lane was on the struggle bus right there with you. All <laughs> right, let's jump into our question this week. I think Nick's got our question this week. I do, and it actually comes from it, this is a this is a three person question. My aunt Sandra, my wife Libby, and myself, we were at a, a district baseball game. And the team that we were, the host team where we were at, each of the high school players had their own walk-up music, just like in the MLB. And so uh, we were talking about that, and Sanders said, that'd make a great podcast question. Mm -hmm. So I agreed. I I forgot what it was, because it was like a week and a half ago, Um, so I had to text her and ask her. But it was, uh, if you were in Major League Baseball, what would be your walk-up song? That's a pretty good question. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you guys? What are your answers? What are you guys sitting on, Garrett? What do you got? What do you got, Garrett? Can I... you're, you're about you're you're. They said your name. Okay, you're out of the hole. Now you're batting. off the deck. You're walking towards home plate. Number eight. Garrett Napier. I give right. it a. I, I give it a seven. Yeah. So what? Why? Why? Why hurricane? Why? There is a movie, which I will not name, and there's a scene where the doors to the arcade open, mm-hmm. and all the cool kids come walking through in slow motion, and this song's playing. I don't know. I just really like it. Gotcha. We don't have the rights to name movies yeah. on our podcast. Is that right? Is that, we don't have the license for that. I just don't, <laughs> I just don't want to hear what Nick has to say oh, about yeah. this movie. Yeah, I have no idea what movie you're talking about. He watches inappropriate movies is what oh. he's saying. It's one so. of Matthew McConaughey's first movies. All right, all right. Oh, okay. All right. I gotcha. Yeah, I know. Garrett was a little confused when he watched it. <laughs> I gotcha. I was in a daze when he yeah. watched it, so I couldn't quite figure out exactly what I yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll go next. I think, okay. I think mine is, is appropriate um, given the national holiday that is today, but oh, I, oh I truly think this would be a great walk up song. <laughs> Who wants to stare down a guy yeah. walking to the plate with this song? That's right, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the Imperial March. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. 
yeah. little uh, John Williams orchestra yeah. for you there. The other side that, of that is, if you strike out, it's like <laughs> he should never play that song again. That's that is very true. That is very it's true. risky, but it's good. I, I'm a yeah. fan. I think given today yeah. is is May fourth. Um, I think that would just be a really cool walk up song yeah. as well. So, well, for me, I'm an early '90s music. Uh, junkie. <clears throat> Anything between 1988 and 1994 is usually going to be my jam. Okay. And uh, so if I was walking to the plate, here's what you would hear. All right, little boys to men. Yeah, I would be. Uh, I'd be. I'd be coming to the plate with Motown Philly. How would you not be dancing though, walking up to the plate? Well, that's the thing. Is everybody? I think if you play that song, yeah. everybody's dancing. So, so. Have, have you ever seen the um, minor league <coughs> baseball team, the Georgia Bananas? Yes. So they did yes. kind of. So yes. that's the kind of song they would use. But they would yeah. walk up with the matching the Savannah sweaters. Bananas. The, that's right. The Savannah. The Savannah Bananas. Bananas. Yeah. They would walk up with matching sweaters mm-hmm. and bow ties to that song, and they would probably yeah. do a little of the Motown Philly dance moves yeah. before they got to the plate. Yeah. So. Yeah. Libby said that she would have picked some um, '90s country song. Oh yeah. Famous '90s country song, which is was right she being her, serious? The, I yes, I think she. Did she, she give a specific answer? She just say just in that. General. She didn't know which one. I actually said that. I said you would pick a '90s country song, and she said probably. Yeah, I think I think my wife Cat would probably be in the early 2000s, kind of that pop mix that yeah. is her sweet spot right there. My wife would have silence because <laughs> she hates the fact that I have a uh, a soundtrack to my life because music you. is always in the background. I think she I, wants it I can see off. Rebecca walking up with like an organ hymn, you know, like <laughs> played on you know the stadium organ. Mm-hmm. Third in the lineup, Sister Rebecca the Baptist. Some song that I don't know. Uh, yeah. To be fair, so. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's been our question of the week. All right, so let's jump into it. So two weeks ago, uh, we took a group of men from our church to T4G mm-hmm. together for the gospel. Um, Nick, we talk a little bit about. Together for the Gospel Conference and what it is. and, and Yeah. So Together for the Gospel started in 2006. Well, really, it started before that in the hearts and minds of um, four uh, what I would consider, you know, Protestant uh, evangelical leaders in the Christian community uh, here in the United States of America, um, being Mark Dever, uh, Albert Muller, Ligon Duncan and C.J. Mahaney, and those men got together, and they really felt like it was time for pastors to have some kind of a an event where they could come together for fellowship, for relationship, for encouragement, but come together um, around those core tenets of the gospel that we all have in common, and celebrate those, and learn from one one another, and hear good preaching. Um, and get to know new brothers in the faith that uh, had that likeness um, in the faith around the gospel. And uh, I think the first time they gathered in 2006, there was like two, maybe 2,000 that gathered. And it was uh, uh, an event that happened every other year, so on even years. And by the time you got to 2010, there was, you know, eight, nine thousand mostly at that time pastors ministers attending the conference by the time you get to 2014 2016 there's you know 10 12,000 in attendance um lay people from the church had begun uh, to be, had become interested in it which was great 
um, that pastors got to attend this conference with people from their churches. Their spouses started coming. And uh, uh, the only year that they didn't meet between 2006 and this current year was uh, 2020, the COVID year. And they gathered uh, several months ago and had come to the decision that every ministry type event um, has a season to it and that this would be the final together for the gospel. So they titled this this year's conference, The Last Word. Um, and so this was the final together for the gospel. There was 10,000 in attendance. Throughout all of its years, the backbone, the personality backbones to this conference have remained. Mark Dever, Ligon Duncan, Albert Moeller, and until recently, C.J. Mahaney. Hmm. And so um, they have brought they brought many other uh, uh, sound-minded and gifted uh, gospel-centered preachers in along the way. And um, uh, it, my first... My first T4G was 2014, and uh, it was as much as an event or a conference can be, it was transformational for me. Mm. So it uh, really helped form a lot of my perspective on preaching ministry, my perspective on how to articulate the gospel, um, and how to get my heart and mind around Reformed theology and not feel guilty or feel like um, I'm some kind of a apostate <laughs> uh, for believing in biblical Christianity. Hmm. So yeah. yeah, I went. I think 2018 was the first year that I went. Um, we had taken some men from our church and planned on going in 2020 before COVID, and, and watched every watched the stream online that year. Yeah, um, yeah. We had 17 people from our church that were going to go in 2020, men yeah. and women. It, yeah. yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that was the plan this time as well, and it just kind of yeah. fell through yeah. that we didn't have as many um, who were able to go. Circumstances in yeah. life and things like that changed, and um, but it was a great conference. I remember in 2018 going, man, this is really cool because it's not just a room full of Oklahoma Baptists, which mm-hmm. I'm used to for a lot of our training sessions. It's it's coming together and realizing there is a global mission for the church through the spread of the gospel and being able to hear these leaders get up with with differences in in some of the things they believe, not not huge differences, but some of the differences, and then being able to set that aside to come together for one goal, and that's to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. And to have all these these people in this room gathered around for worship and study and, and being fed from the same hydrant it felt like most of the time as you're trying just to get a drink of, of what's going on. And 2018, the scale of it was huge. It was in the Yum Center um, there in, in Louisville, and it was massive. And this one was just as big. It was in a different place. But I think the overall impact was just as strong yeah. uh, in 2022 as it was in 2022, 2018 for me. Yeah. I've always, when people have asked me about Together for the Gospel, like, how would you describe it? I always describe it as simple singing and sound teaching. Hmm. Um, and there's nothing else. There's no fluff to it. Hmm. Um, there's no built-in charisma. There's no electricity. There's no... It is simple singing around new and old hymns. Uh, and it's sound teaching on uh, very uh, essential gospel truths. Hmm. And it's amazing that when you can get 10,000 people together and you can have simple singing and sound teaching, how dynamic it really is mm. without trying to manufacture dynamics. Right. Let's, let's yeah. park there on the worship real quick and then yeah. we'll get into the teaching side of it. 
that was one thing that really struck me the first time in 2018 and even this time to have, you know, 10, 12,000 voices in unison um, with basically a piano being led. And, and mm-hmm. Matt Merker led this time. Who was it who led in 2018? Bob, Bob Coughlin. Bob Coughlin okay. led it all those years before. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, um, and, and simple hymns. And now I will say going into 2018, I didn't know many of the hymns um, <laughs> that were being sung at that time. And then this time Garrett, I... Garrett, does he ever say, I don't know this? You don't ever hear Josh say that, right? Only... Once a week. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But this going in this time, feeling like I knew more of, of, of the, the yeah. hymns and yeah. the importance of that. And there was no, like you said, there was no fluff. There was no, hey, we know you guys love hearing this song on the radio. Or, hey, we're going to orchestrate something with, with full instrumentalist during this song. It was really just worship. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not that those other things aren't worship, but you could really feel the heart of this. It was something that could be very divisive as music. And we know even in our church, music can be a very divisive mm-hmm. yeah. issue. It wasn't here. You know, it was all these like-minded people coming together to sing these hymns. And I remember after the first session, Ryan Walker leaned over to me. Uh, we got done and he goes, what in the world was that? Because he had never <laughs> experienced anything like that and, and was not in a negative way, but was just blown away yeah. by the worship that took place. Yeah. So I want to I wanna ask about that because... Um, it is very impactful and moving. Um, in fact, I think you sent us several, several audio recordings. I took some audio recordings of just the, the singing. Uh, but we don't do that here at our church. Like we, we don't just have a piano and, and a single vocalist leading. We have instruments. We have yeah. drums. So um, are those things wrong? I mean, and you addressed this in your sermon the other day about lack of fluff. Um, I think there's some people would say that we have fluff because we have instrumentation and um, dynamics to the music, but um, why why no fluff? Why is that so moving? And then is what we're is what we're doing here wrong? Um, should we be doing it more like what we saw at the at the conference? So I think two things. I think one at a conference like this where their focus is gathering people around those very central issues and essentials to the gospel. What they don't want is for people to come from all these different denominations, all these different um, uh, churches where there's different styles of music, and for people to feel excluded or um, uh, or critical of whatever happens on the Put stage. Put off. Well, I mean, I don't care what conference you go to or what church you go to. If there are musicians, there's somebody who has an opinion <laughs> about the way those musical instruments are being used. It's just, mm-hmm. Even me. It's just natural. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty with T4G is that instead of that being a distraction over what the guitars are doing or the drums doing or, or whatnot, and then having just to, to spend the time on those things, you know, um, they just simplify it and say a piano because the... the in their minds, they realize the people that are coming to T4G are going to be totally content if there's just a piano and they get to sing with brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. They're content with that. They know what they're walking into, and they're fine with that. What they're not doing at T4G is saying that this is the um, principle that should be regulated in every church. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's beautiful about uh, 95% of what you hear in a worship service being just the voices and 5% of that being a piano off in the distance is there is that moment of appreciation for what it sounds like to hear just voices praising the Lord. 
And so I think for, for a lot of us, we can go back into our churches and we can at least try to not recreate, but offer moments of that type of expression in worship, similar to what we did this last <clears throat> this, whoa, <clears throat> this last Sunday. He's in puberty. Yeah, <clears throat> this last Sunday when we really just gave all the musicians, the, most of the musicians, a break. You know, mm-hmm. it helps us see that worship is not tied to an instrument. Instruments are a way for us to show gratitude and express a doxology towards God. They're not imperative for us to worship. And so I think if everybody would welcome that perspective, they wouldn't fight over music in the church. But so many of us don't welcome that perspective. Mm -hmm. We want what we hear on the radio. We want what the big seeker-sensitive churches are doing. And we've taken what is a blessing, the instruments, we've taken what is a blessing to the church and we've turned it into a curse in the church because we've, it's become the idol. It's become the most important aspect of worship. And what T4G does is it strips all that away and it helps you see, no, the most important thing in worship is the heart of the worshiper, not what's being presented on stage. So... I remember when we were singing in the first session, and I don't remember what's the, what was the number twelve thousand people this this year. I think that's I think what that's I about what I heard. Well, I thought they sold ten thousand tickets, so that yeah, probably twelve thousand people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember leaning over to Rob and saying, "I mean, this room's massive. I mm-hmm. mean, twelve thousand—that's a lot of twelve thousand's a lot of people." And I said, "Look, if you look in here and think this is a slice of of the Christian yeah. world." A tiny today, slice. Yeah. a very small slice of the Christian church today. I said, "Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when you have all all believers of all times from all places? Like this is massive. I can't imagine what it's going to look like before the throne. Mm-hmm. It's going to be mm-hmm. it's going to be crazy." And it, for anybody that wants to know, I mean, they actually do release the T4G mm-hmm. album. So they, they record all the music at T4G, and then they put an album on Spotify. So you can go and listen. Not to this I just, year's yet. I yeah, mean, I just looked, this and, year's and, yet, and they yeah. still have this year's yeah. yet. But m- most most of the past years, yeah. you can go on and hear the audio to yeah. that. Um, and I, I noticed as well, there was some freedom as well in the worship because there was moments where I feel like they would do a song that wasn't planned because it tied in yeah. with the message and Matt Marker would sit down and, and lead that song. Um, and then um, having that freedom to be able to do that without having to change instrumentalist and yell at 10 different people, hey, we got to change this or change the lyrics. And mm-hmm. it was very simple and kind of scaled back. And I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it left room for people to be offended because yeah. it wasn't yeah. their style or their choice. It was the appreciation of gathering with the saints to, to worship around the throne. Yeah. Um, I actually have a recording, I think, that you sent us of one of the evenings. I'm going to try to play it real quick. I know that that recording doesn't do much justice to what it felt like to be in the room to sing, you know, His Mercy is More together with all these people, but it kind of gives you a glimpse of just all these voices being raised in unison um, around, a, like you said, a piano that that almost even led at a distance. I really felt Mm -hmm. like um, 
Matt led and then had to use the piano to kind of accompany the, the worship that was going on. Most yeah. of the last verses were a cappella. Yeah. Most of them. So, you know, it goes back to, like I said, I mean, the Old Testament teaches us to, to use musical instruments mm-hmm. to praise the Lord. And so we very much affirm that here at the church. Uh, Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones <clears throat> talks, he has a sermon where he talks about the tyranny of the organ. And they use, they use an organ mm-hmm. at Westminster. I mean, they had a piano and they had an organ. But he would talk about the tyranny of the organ when the organ becomes the most important aspect of worship, then it's not worship. Mm-hmm. So when the music and the way that music is presented becomes the most important aspect of worship, then it's no longer worship, it's idolatry. Mm. And, uh, of course, the doctor can say it in a way that is both... Uh, he, 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 he sounds angry, but he's just trying to correct the record on what worship really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's truth to that, that we've got to be careful and sensitive in our churches to understand the gifts that God gives us in instruments versus making instruments the regulative principle mm. in our worship. So, and I, and I think it's a, it's a, a battle that every generation faces. Cause I know we go to camp sometimes and you'll have this really high intense worship mm-hmm. situation for students to be in. And then they feel the air being let out of their balloons sometimes come back on a Sunday morning when it doesn't match the emotion level that was created in that mm-hmm. room. And they struggle with that. And yeah. then you have the older generation who wants it the way that they were raised on. And so yeah. every generation has this sense of, well, worship has to be done this way. Worship has to be done this way. Worship has to be done this way. Yeah. And and like you said, when it becomes the the issue, that's when it doesn't become worship. Anymore. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Well, we're in a sad state if we go to a conference and, and Cody Dunbar or... Uh, Matt Merker set the stage for what you should expect at your home church because mm-hmm. I can't, you know, use this word. But I can't perform to that level. I'm not the same kind of musician. Um, most churches don't have that uh, oh, level Gary, of musicianship. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we 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 don't come to we shouldn't come home to expect mm-hmm. that. We should expect um, what our congregation has to offer, and yeah. and that's. Um, and that's acceptable, and yeah. it's okay, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah. Part of part of loving your church um, as Jesus does, but part of loving your local church is valuing and appreciating how God has gifted that church, and um, and sometimes our giftedness is found in our simplicity, not in not in not in complicating things. And so, uh, I always err. You guys know this about me. I always err on the side of simplicity, not. You know, adding things just for the sake of adding things. Right. So I'm not. I'm not. A, I don't like stimulants mm. in worship. I'd rather just ask and plead with the Holy Spirit to be our stimulant. Mm. So and that was kind of the worship side of of T4G, and so part of this as well is we had we had panel discussions, and then we had um, speakers who would come in and. Um, uh, speak to to the to the room full of people there, and we had a a list of who's who. I think Garrett's got the list of speakers. Is that who you've got yep. in front of you right now? Yep. So who are some of the speakers, speakers that we had? Um, so Alistair Begg. I H- knew B- he would say Alistair first. <laughs> well, it's in order of <laughs> alphabet. <laughs> Alistair Begg, H. B. Charles, uh, Mark Dever, Kevin DeYoung, Ligon Duncan, Sinclair Ferguson, Greg Gilbert, Shylin, Christian Lawanda. <laughs> John Piper, David Platt, Juan Sanchez, Bobby Scott, and Afshin Zeefat. 
They were, they were all alphabetical. So. Now, two or three of those were devotionals, not sermons. Yes, yes. yes. right. Yeah, they did a morning devotional yep. every morning. Yeah. I think Juan Sanchez, Juan Sanchez and Afshin Ziafang uh, were devotionals, yeah. And Greg Gilbert, correct? And if you, and if Greg you Gilbert, yeah. go to the T4G website, t4g.org, they have posted mm-hmm. all the videos yeah. for the panels and sermons. And I highly recommend um, going and listening to several of those. They were... Okay, what... If if people only had time to I listen knew to that two, was coming. If they I only had time to listen this to question two is coming. messages, which two would you all say people need to listen to? Uh, number one for me, I think, was Christian Lawando. Um, that that morning yeah. session with him, it was really good. Was <laughs> phenomenal, um, and you can't help but smile when you listen to the guy. I mean, he's yeah. beating us up over gospel yeah. ministry, and you're like, I still like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, for me, that's number one for sure. So uh, on that, what I loved about the way that Christian Lawanda presents in messages is he always presents on the encouraging side rather than the discouraging side. Very much so. So, have you heard other sermons from him? No, I haven't either. No. Uh, in fact, I didn't know who he was. But the way that he presents is so there are a lot of historically classical, famous, um, gospel-centered preachers who we love and value. And they have a way of uh, bringing conviction to you, and their tone is a very convicting tone, and it's perfectly acceptable. I mean, we it's fine. He can do that with a smile and from the perspective of encouragement, and you get the same mm-hmm. conviction. Yeah, I appreciated that. I mean, especially when you you pair that to uh, to David Platts, who uh, raked us over the coals over Definitely. the need for missions. Yeah. Um, those were white hot coals he raked us over to. I, you yeah. could feel the air leave. Matter of fact, I looked yeah. over at Garrett at one point, and you could tell he was feeling the weight of the full sermon, mm-hmm. and and I had to check on him. I was like, "Are you okay, man?" And in fact, it, tonight in the on on Wednesday nights we do the theology of the church. Tonight's on the doctrine of evangelism, mm. and so some of the things I'm saying tonight were are pulled from his that mm-hmm. message. Cheater. So, well, yeah, I don't mind cheating. <laughs> So, so Christian Lawanda was my number one, um, and I I really enjoyed Shylin's. Um, Shylin did a great job. Now I'm a big Shylin fan. Yeah, me too. Corbin and yeah. I listen to his kids' catechism album yeah. on Spotify mm-hmm. almost every morning. Um, and also I, felt encouraged with his yeah. for some mm-hmm. reason, yeah. and he was he it was yep. a difficult topic, but yeah. All right, what about you guys? I answered. I, if you can only listen to one, I'd say go listen to Christian Lawanda. Um, I I just thoroughly enjoyed that sermon. Um, second, and this one was the heavy one, uh, John Piper. Um, the name of it was He Bore Our Sins That We Might Live hmm. uh, to Righteousness. What is the gospel for? And that one, uh, I, I think he really addressed a, a very important topic that, as he said, we, we fail to talk about sometimes. Uh, we can talk about justification, and that is a right thing, and we should. But justification um, doesn't—it doesn't end there. That we are called to be a holy people, and that our justification has paid for our holiness. Um, it was—it was very good. Yeah, those two are my. So I would say, and in this order, Kevin DeYoung mm-hmm. and John Piper, because I don't know that I've ever heard. Two sermons at a conference complement each other better than those two sermons. So Kevin DeYoung's exposition of justification, and he says this is more of a talk than a sermon. It's not expositional. So he was given a doctrinal sermon on justification, 
And then the next day, John Piper, basically, his was on sanctification. Mm-hmm. It wasn't titled that way, but it was mm-hmm. sanctification. And uh, those two sermons just deeply um, uh, complemented one another. And I think they were the two, from my perspective, the two best sermons. Although I will admit, Christian Lawanda's sermon it was just... Uh, Excellent. Mm. I mean, excellent. So. Yeah, Kevin DeYoung started us the week off and was really good. And I, I'm a note taker. Um, I, I'm yeah. a. It helps me pay attention. Helps me stay mm-hmm. focused. But there were several times where I had to stop taking notes. You know, with Piper because I was like just soaking it all in mm-hmm. because there was just so much information there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of times that Piper would point back to Kevin DeYoung and say, go back and listen to Kevin DeYoung. This is what Kevin DeYoung said yesterday. They they went back and forth in in very complimentary ways, like you said, talking about um, justification and sanctification through that process. And yeah, Kevin DeYoung was was really was was really good as well. It's probably one of my probably would have been the third one I would have recommended um, going down that list. And that's really hard because there were I said there was fourteen speakers, so there were fourteen devotions slash sermons. Um, and to pick two is yeah is really t- because every one of them was top tier. Oh, there was yeah, so much. So of those. And, and to even draw the point out how excellent the sermons are, the one that I would consider maybe even arguably willing to say my least favorite of the sermons, which is weird to say because they were all good, but my least favorite had one of the most impactful moments of the whole week in it, and that was Sinclair Ferguson when mm-hmm. he drew the. When he went from First Peter five yeah. and the shepherd to Psalm twenty three, I thought, man, blew my mind. I don't know mm-hmm. that I've ever heard anybody draw such a clear connection to those. Um, well, and even looking back at Mark Devers and talking about authority being abusive, especially in the mm-hmm. church in today's yep. day and age, not yep. shying away from that, but it was so practical. Charging yeah. the pastors very practically yeah. to say, hey, if this is you, stop. You know, mm-hmm. and and how to biblically handle that stuff. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, and he had, I'm trying to think, he had, was it five verses, four points, three main points, two quotes, and one takeaway? That was David Platt. Oh, was, was that David Platt? Was Platt. Was Platt. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, Dever actually broke away from his normal uh, conference uh, model when he normally has, I think it's either he either has nine points or ten points with each sermon, so he broke away from that a little bit. I think this is an important, we can keep talking about the sermons and the pastors, but I think this is an important moment to insert something here. Because people have heard me from the pulpit say, you know, um, that when you belong to a local church, the teaching of that church, and the, the pastor that's at that church, that's your pastor, um, and that's your shepherd, and uh, if you're paying too much attention and, and, and kind of submitting to pastors that don't know you, you need to be careful of that. So let me just say this. None of these pastors, as much as I like to hear them preach, are considered the shepherd of my life. Mm. They are teaching me doctrinal biblical truths that have deep application to my ministry and to my spiritual sanctification, yes. But they don't know me. Well, some of them know me. I mean, one of them knows me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I don't want to be a liar. Uh, You know what I mean, though. I I mean, we don't know know each other. And um, Do uh, Do they get in your... Friday hole when the tornado's coming through. No, just no. you. Just what, and your dog. So, what did you just dog. call that? Friday hole. Friday hole? No. Friday. Friday. Like a Friday hole. Friday hole. It's a, oh. what he calls a storm shelter. Fright hole. I've never heard that phrase before. Nobody in our house had. Dude. He made it You've up. never heard anything that I come up with. 
that you come up with. That's exactly right. You just make stuff up. All right, we've digressed. But the the point is that I love to listen to other sound teachers teach. I love to. I spend a lot of my week doing that. Um, And I would even encourage other people to do that. But never at the expense of what's being taught um, at your own church. Mm. Um, never put the priority of somebody else's online teaching over the priority of what's being taught at your church. And if what's being taught at your church, through the teachers, through the pastor, and the shepherding ministry there, if you cannot find a place to be content, if you can never get, be content with what's happening in the teaching ministry of that local church you belong to, if you just can't find satisfaction there, you need to pray about finding a church mm-hmm. where you can be satisfied and content because we're called... The whole point of Sinclair Ferguson's message yeah. in First Peter 5 was that sure. each pastor has a flock he's the under-shepherd to. Mm-hmm. And that is a critical component to the life and health of a church is for both the pastor to understand that and the flock to live in submission to that. And so that is a relationship that the shepherd has to the flock and the flock has to the shepherd. And it's critical for the health of the church. And so, um, and I would even, and and there's two sides to that. One, um, just acknowledging that you can, you can listen and be equipped and encouraged by other people's sermons while they're not your shepherd. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is, and I don't know if anybody listens to this podcast that might fall on the other side of this. And I'm just going to say it. If you're attending a church where you have no access to the shepherd, you need to find another church mm-hmm. because it's not biblical. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I would echo that. I am a huge H.P. Charles fan. I call him H.P. We've got a picture together. Yeah, I don't we, know if you guys were. Yeah. Were you, you guys in that picture? T- yes, I was in. I don't remember. Um, anyways, of I'm course a, I was. a big H.P. Charles Jr. fan. <laughs> and um, he preaches out of Jacksonville. And had posted sermons on Sunday and I enjoy listening to them, but that's as much as I enjoy H.B. Charles, he is not my shepherd. I am not part of his flock. Um, but there's some very great takeaways I can take, but I, mm-hmm. I can't listen to that under the regard of this is my pastor H.B. Mm-hmm. that I'm listening yeah. to every week. Yeah. That's not how that works. Yeah. Studying for my Sunday school class each week. Um, I, sp- I spend a lot of time listening, not audibly, but listening to the voice of, uh, Warren Wearsby mm-hmm. because my I, I take my outlines most of my outlines come from him yeah. for Sunday school class and and he's dead now but um, so he can't be but he's he's not my shepherd um, but he's an influential voice in my life he has a shepherding ministry right but he's not your shepherd right, right. and when I say access, <coughs> and, he, and when I say if you don't have access to the pastor at that church hopefully if the church is large enough. Um, or biblical enough, I, I might even say, uh, you have access to one of, of the under shepherds mm-hmm. at that church. Yeah. Yep. No, that was that was that was a good word. Yeah. There were all these, all these were were great sessions, and even some of the um, the panels. I don't know if you guys want to talk about the panels for a little bit, real quick. And so what they would do is typically after a, a teaching session where somebody would get up and preach the word, and we would listen to it. Um, they would have invite those speakers to come back out and join one of the main leaders there, and they would talk through some different church yeah. issues. What I took away from the panels and a recent sermon I heard from from one who shall not be named, Alistair. Alistair. 
So when Alistair and Piper talk, I mean, they're goofballs. And sometimes they say some... They're playful, yeah. Crazy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I informed my my text group of people, um, don't ever judge me again. Because if Alistair and Piper can be goofballs, you can't judge me anymore. When it comes to panel discussions, um, uh, if you're looking through the T4G website and you're going back through videos and you're wanting to look for the most interesting panel discussions, look at the screen grab. And if the screen grab has in it Kevin DeYoung, Mark Dever, and John Piper, you need to watch those panel discussions mm. because it's going to not be it's going to be helpful, but it's also going to be entertaining. Yeah, I think most of the panels yeah. were very entertaining. Yeah. So three of the panels were. Um, one was on Alistair's ministry, mm-hmm. one was on John Piper's ministry, and one was on uh, Sinclair Ferguson's ministry. Well, I think the one that Alistair was on was really about Sinclair's... Oh, what? yeah, that's right. It was right. the life of Sinclair's ministry, and You're Alistair right, being was. a friend was, was there. So as Alistair and him were together, they yeah. both kind of talked about their ministry yeah. some. But, mm-hmm. um, so those two, the one with, with uh, Sinclair Ferguson's ministry and John Piper's ministry, those were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of humanized them to yep. some extent. That yeah, yeah. They're just common preachers who have yep. dealt with the same thing. Made mistakes. That made mistakes, dealt mm-hmm. with the same thing that every church deals yeah. with. And they were very transparent in those moments where mm-hmm. they shared those stories. and Very transparent. And yeah. talked about letters. and, and um, In fact, maybe a, dis- a disclaimer that Piper's John Piper gets very, shock you. very... Uh, and you can probably find his article somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and but just to hear those guys kind of sit back with that that guard taken down a little bit and have some of those conversations, and you really felt like you were just sitting at the table with them. Yeah, and a little bit encouraging from both Alistair and Piper that it wasn't just that um, they had churches who loved them enough to allow them to grow into the ministry that they have today. Mm-hmm. They weren't always the refined preachers that they are today. Mm-hmm. That they made mistakes throughout the years, and they had elders who helped them through that, and they had a church family that, to some extent, put up with them. Yeah. You know? H.B. Charles Jr. talks about in his, you know, he was 17 when he became a pastor, Mm. which is hard to even imagine, but he talks about how in his early years of ministry, um, he wishes he could go back and apologize Mm. to to those congregations for all the things he probably said that he got wrong, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, it was, uh, I can't remember who it was. I was watching a Ligonier panel discussion recently where they talked about how um, preachers have all at some point in early times in their ministry probably said something that they didn't know was a heresy hmm. and then later learned it was a heresy, but you can't go back and take it back because it's, it's part of just learning theologically and learning um, you know, how to treat the gospel. So, yeah. It was, it's always good in those panel discussions to see them, yeah, humanized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it was full of teaching and, and panel discussion and worship, and then we were given uh, books. We were given a ton of books. I don't know how many, the total we walked away from. And they had one of the... I think 12 books. You always get at least your registration yeah. feedback in books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easy. <clears throat> Which is one of the... Uh, driving components that made T4G so successful is that these guys that put together and preached and worked hard to put on the T4G conference weren't just saying, hey, come and listen to us so we can generate some revenue. Hey, come listen to us so we can get more YouTube views. They were going, we want to help. 
Yeah. We want to be a help to you. And so everything you pay to get here, we want to give you back in resources to help your ministry. Mm. And that's probably not as big of an issue. Resources is not a big of an issue today as it was previously. I know that right. uh, Charles Spurgeon's wife um, kind of had her own ministry to pastors. Susan. Um, in that she um, she funded their libraries. She helped to get books into the hands of mm-hmm. of pastors to help them grow. Today we have a whole lot more access. In fact, you can even get real cheap options digitally. Um, but 12 books at I mean just at an average of $10 a piece and they are some of them are selling for some more than that. Some of those are $60 textbooks. Right. 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 Yeah. Um you're I mean you you get your registration fee back. Yeah. Was Spurgeon's wife named Susan or Suzanne? S- Susanna, wasn't it? Susanna. I think it's Susanna. Yeah. Okay. They had one of the largest bookstores down there as well where you can yeah. go purchase some more books by... Um, Discounted, yeah. Yeah, big, yeah. huge, huge discount, discount books. And uh, we bought several for people in our church or for ourselves, for our own libraries. And then they had um, an exhibit hall set up with seminaries and different ministries that you could go get more information on and, and talk through. And uh, matter of fact, they were at, they were advertising a few other conferences that are mm-hmm. not necessarily going to replace T4G, um, but get to a point that, hey, now that T4G is ending, here's some other options for you that are some sound conferences yeah. uh, if you wanted to look at attending in the next couple of years. And this year, the books that I purchased this year were all books for um, my daughter, really. Yeah. Uh, they had some really good children's resources on how to understand the Bible and how to walk through the Bible. And then also, they've recently come out with um, a two-part series on the Pilgrim's mm-hmm. Progress for children, one and two, and Lula, Did you get one? Yeah, Lula has been, and she has almost done reading the first one. Mm, really? And so it's it's really helpful because it's a book designed for kids, you know, 12, 13 years and under. It's, it's, it is illustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we should get one for Rob? Rob needs, yeah, <laughs> we, we get one for Rob. Uh, but it helps them understand the story of the Pilgrim's Progress without being so mm-hmm. um, burdened down with the, the mm-hmm. depth of language in it. Yeah. Right. You had mentioned that from the pulpit a few months ago, and I had never read it, so I bought a copy. And I got like a quarter of the way in and went, man, I'm struggling here. I don't, this is this is some heavy stuff with mm-hmm. this old English writing. And yeah. You can get the an words. update. They have a modern English modern Yeah, I, I, that's what I ended up finding was a, an online version of a, yeah. an updated one. But I, I bought that for Carly as well, and I so I bought... Corbin books. I bought more books for my kids this year. I bought mm-hmm. a few for myself and my ministry. And then I bought some of the Nine Marks books mm-hmm. um, that I thought were really helpful um, on different topics. Like, what do I do when I don't want to go to pray, when I don't feel like praying? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do with a member who stops coming to church? Um, what is the Lord's Supper? And it deals mm-hmm. with all these main issues, but they're like 50 or 60 pages or yeah. less little pamphlet yeah. kind of type books. And those have been really fun to kind of Which flip through and read. We talked, you sent me a picture and I know Nick and I have talked about that's uh, some resources that we'd like to make available to, to the church members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real, very small yeah. pamphlet like books mm-hmm. um, that give doctrinal. There was another one, the biggest story Bible storybook, which mm-hmm. is a mouthful to say. That's the, but, I bought um, that one for... Yeah, yeah I, I got one of those. Kevin DeYoung wrote some things. He wrote that, the stories in there, and then there was an artist who who uh, did paintings that are throughout the book. It's a really nice book. It's 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 designed for children, but I think is also kind of like they said about the Pilgrim's Progress for the children. Um, adults, you should go read it yeah. too because it's yeah. well put together. 
Let me just say this for those that are still hanging with us, with us just talking about this conference we went to, um, to kind of be a little bit pastoral and helpful with why we're actually talking about T4G. I think all of us would have the same heart in this that we want to be, it is our aim. Um, because I personally believe that the Bible teaches that it should be the aim of the church to be a teaching ministry that one of the core purposes of the church, as Jesus said in his final words before he ascended, baptize them, but then teach them to observe. Mm. Teach them to observe all that's been instructed. The, the ministry of the church is a teaching ministry, and that's what we want to be here at First Baptist Church, and we want to be better at it year in Year over year, we need to be better at teaching the gospel and teaching the entire presentation of Scripture um, to the people, from children all the way through senior adults. We should never graduate and never think that we've arrived. Listen, John MacArthur is 82. He says he's still learning. Hmm. One of the most prolific Bible teachers of any era, of any time, is 82, still preaching, and still learning. Um, so uh, we're only as good missionally, we're only as good in ministry, and we're only as good um, uh, in evangelism as we are, as, as, as the way we go with our teaching ministry in the church. And so I hope that for anybody listening, or anybody who attends on a Sunday or attends on a Wednesday, you hear all of us collectively as a staff and as spiritual leaders of the church communicate that we unapologetically believe that the teaching ministry of the church is primary to the health of this church. Mm. And we submit that, and we make that appeal um, to the congregation, but we submit that under the authority of God the Father and the authority of His Word. And so uh, that's why these things are important to us, um, and that's why we're already looking at, you know, what's the next, you know, um, Bible-centered conference that we can get people to, because they're helpful. Very they're helpful. Sounds like a great place to end our podcast this week. We want to thank you guys for hanging with us as we talked about T4G, uh, and that is uh, t4g.org if you want to go listen to some of those sermons or panel discussions, which we highly recommend you carve some time out to do in your week. Thank you for being with us this week. We'll be back Eventually, Garrett will keep a countdown for us and, uh, as we... 52 days and counting. 52 days and counting. As we're fading out this week, we want to thank you guys for listening. Any other last words? Tell your, tell your friends to... Uh, if, if you have friends that don't listen to podcasts, acknowledge that sin in their life and then encourage them to listen to good podcasts. There you go. There you go. So thanks for hanging out with us this week for our podcast. And don't forget... Words matter. Words matter. This has been the Words Matter Podcast, a podcast of FBC Seminole. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.